All right, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Let's start with, let me turn your mic on here. There we go. Yeah, okay. That would help. Let's start with, let's start Just with. Just because I wasn't here yesterday. All right, well, I'm a rookie at this. What do you want? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's start with the money laundering report out this week from, uh, Austin Cullen, and we had an awesome debate on this to kick the show off today. Kevin Falcon, the new leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, mm-hmm. said just a few weeks ago that if this report in any way fingers the Liberals, he's going to apologize. Let's listen to what Falcon had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. Here. I wasn't in government when, when this problem blew up, but I'm very interested in seeing the results of this commission. And I want you to know this. That if it points out that while we were in government, we were in any way responsible, I will absolutely apologize on behalf of our party and and, uh, whatever we did not do well. Seems pretty clear he's got to apologize if he wants to keep his promise, does he not? Well, yeah, just because there was no finding of corruption doesn't mean there was not criticism of uh, the Liberal government's handling this, that they... They basically chose to look the other way. Um, Rich Coleman, Christy Clark, Mike DeYoung all came under uh, for some criticism here. Uh, it's going to be interesting. There's, I mean, there's lots of examples where politicians actually benefit from apologies and yeah. you know and move on. I mean, uh, Gordon Campbell's drunk driving situation, if you recall, tearful apology. Well, he went up in the polls. Yeah. Uh, politicians can stubbornly cling to the non-apology route and it doesn't always work out for them. If there's no apology, I guarantee in the next leader's debate, in the next election, John Horgan, whoever the NDP leader is at that time, is going to turn to uh, Kevin Falcon and say, will you apologize for your government's actions uh, regarding money laundering or your lack of action regarding money laundering? So just trying to ignore it today does not necessarily make this issue go away. Okay, I asked Liberal MLA Mike Bernier straight up this morning, will Kevin Falcon apologize for the failures here on money laundering like he said he would? And here's what Bernier had to say to me. Yeah, I mean, we have to look at the fact that we have this report in front of us. We're going to look at all of the details. Uh, I'm going to talk with uh, all of us in the party because we have to obviously do some soul searching. But, you know, Mr. Falcon, again, was not part of any of this. He's also in a state right now where he's looking at the report and wondering why David Eby's not uh, admitting that he's going to implement any of the recommendations yet. Okay, so trying to turn it back on EB, but I think he's good got a he's got a good point that Falcon wasn't around when this was going on. He was out now. of politics, he's, but he's yeah. the leader now, and he's the spokesperson for the for the party and for the caucus. Um, so just because he wasn't around back then, I don't think necessarily gets him off the hook. But again, uh, the NDP's trying. We'll try to keep this issue alive as long yeah. as they can. It's going to come back in the next election campaign, and the Liberals obviously are uncomfortable with this because there's not much they can hang their hat on in this thing. Uh, I never thought that Cullen would come back with, uh, you know, findings of corruption or criminal wrongdoing by anyone, but I did, he did come back with painting a picture of a series, a series of ministers and the right. premier he named Christy Clark yeah. of basically not doing enough to stop this, uh, doing some things. He does give them credit for doing some things relatively late in their in the administration, but not doing enough to uh, to turn this around. And right, that's criticism. And like you said, he named names. Like so, he, Christy Clark's name is yeah. in there. Um, Rich Coleman, Mike DeYoung. I mean, all these names are in the report. So I think that if Falcon is going to keep his word here and say that if there's any blame at all in any way for uh, directed at the previous liberal government, he'll apologize. And I think actually it'd be smart for him to apologize and try to put it behind him. And Mike, Mike DeYoung, to his credit, in, an interv- in the interviews he did with, just after the release of the report, said, yeah, in, in retrospect, we, did, you know, we didn't do enough. Right. He, was, 
he wasn't dismissive like Rich Coleman was. Rich Coleman put out a statement almost declaring vindication, you know, um, shows we did everything right. Uh, DeYoung was much more contemplative and reflective and saying, in, you know, as the commission says, we didn't do enough. We should have done more. And I think that's the right tone. OK, we'll see if Falcon apologizes. I think he should. Now, the liberals, I think you're right. I mean, the NDP are going to keep hammering away at this. They're going to well, keep beating gonna... this bass drum here all the way to the next election if they can. If they can. I think uh, it runs out of steam after a while, but it will uh, come back in the election campaign. You know, just because it disappears for a year and a half. Doesn't mean that that report's gone. Also, it doesn't mean money laundering suddenly stops. I mean, there are, Evie will string out these recommendations in terms of implementing them, you know, bit at a time, little drip, drip, drip to keep this in front of the public uh, from time to time as he in, in, uh, implements a number of these recommendations. Not sure he's going to go with the uh, commissioner idea, the, the money laundering commission. That seems to be a little more complicated to implement than some others, but he will he will try to keep this in front of the public. But it's not going to be the sort of the inflammatory uh, issue that it has been for a number yeah. of years. But it will come back in the election campaign. As again, if Falcon does not apologize now, he'll be asked to apologize in the right. leaders' debate. Yeah. Okay. The Liberals would prefer to keep speaking about the museum project, mm. and there's this brand new opinion poll out this poll. week. Yeah, really interesting poll that shows a vast opposition to the billion dollar museum project close to 70 percent of british columbians opposed to the rebuild Just 22 of 22 percent in support yeah and so most of that is tepid support right let's listen to melanie mark here the culture minister this is uh, her project and here's her, here she is defending the museum this is the public museum it houses and stores our collective and shared history and with a risk it could be wiped out and that is a decision that we've made as a government the risks that we're not going to take, but we are committed to doing everything we can for British Columbians, for people to go to safe schools, safe hospitals, and invest in capital projects. Those capital projects are a public asset. Okay, she, she's mentioning schools and hospitals because, of course, critics have pointed out there's lots of schools that could fall down in an earthquake. Why don't you fix those first before well, you build a new museum? And they deferred some uh, some uh, earthquake uh, retrofitting on a number of schools in Mission in Vancouver. Yep. Which I still haven't totally explained why they're doing that at a time when they're willing to spend capital money on the museum. That Angus Reid poll, very interesting. So, as you say, 69% opposition, 22% support. But then on the Shachi Curl, the Angus Reid pollster then asked, okay, how will you vote if an election were held today? And it shows the museum has not dented the NDP's fortunes or improved the Liberals' fortunes. It's still an 11-point gap in favor of the NDP, 42 to 31. What's also interesting in that Angus Reid poll is the Conservatives are tracking, the Conservative Party is tracking at 10%, mm. which is problematic for the Liberals. If you, Those are those are basically, for the most part, uh, potential Liberal voters. And that's a drain on the Liberal fortune. And I noticed yesterday the Liberals put out a news release, uh, Kevin Falcon, demanding that the vaccine mandates end in, the, uh, in for government workers, including in healthcare, and that 2,500 unvaccinated healthcare workers be allowed to go back on the job. Hmm. And I think you're going to see more noise about that because uh, I think you'll see the Dix or the NDP point out that uh, putting unvaccinated people into hospitals right now when we've got record absenteeism because of COVID-19 cases is potentially problematic. Well, do you suspect that Falcon is looking at those B.C. Conservative Party numbers creeping up? And maybe that's why he wants to take a position on exactly. vaccine. That's like, you know, red meat issue there yeah. for conservative voters. I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I think that's exactly what that's all about. That's the first example of a complete opposition to public health measures that I've seen from the BC Liberals. There have been some criticism about, 
you know, some, should the mass mandate come off earlier than, than, than it did? Should we end the vaccine mandates in restaurants and such? But they'll just say we put unvaccinated workers back to work in uh, healthcare settings, which includes long-term care. Uh, was a good plays well on the right, doesn't play well in the center, but I think Falcon is trying to shore up his support on the right. Okay, let's finish with Federal Finance Minister Christia Freeland uh, talking about inflation in Canada, saying that the government's going to help. Here's what she had to say yesterday. We will take real and tangible steps to get inflation under control and to make life more affordable. Some of it has started to arrive, a lot of it is coming in the course of this year, and it's a lot of money. Okay, so whip inflation by spending more money. I'm not sure that's that's going to work. A lot of this that she outlined in this speech yesterday were old promises mm-hmm. as well that have already been made in previous budgets. Yeah, and still lacking a lot of a lot of detail and a lack of a timeline. It's not clear that you know Canada. In a relatively small country and small economy, is going to be able to take steps that is really going to uh, whip inflation now, as the slogan was in the 1970s. It, this is a world issue, but yeah. it'll be interesting. It takes more than I think just Canada's actions. It's going to, you know, the war in Ukraine is going to continue to disrupt the supply chain. It's going to continue to disrupt uh, oil prices. All those, you know, a lot of moving parts to make the inflation rate continue to go high. I think it signals, though, that the federal liberals realize they're vulnerable on this issue, especially with the conservatives about to elect a new mm-hmm. leader. Oh, they have to be seen at least trying something, yeah. doing something yeah. here. But it can be an elusive uh, quarry here. Uh, worldwide events will dictate what the inflation rate is. All right, welcome back. Baldry's Beat, right to your phone calls. Peter in North Vancouver. Hi, Peter, go ahead. Hi, Mike. You know, I'm just responding to uh, Keith's comment about, you know, the NDP wanting to keep harping on this uh, Cullen Commission report through to any next election. And I really wish them luck with that because I think the average British Columbian cares about this from the point of view of how does it affect them. And uh, what I think the average British Columbian is concerned about is money laundering through real estate speculation and what's happened with real estate prices while the NDP have been in power. Because if they've clamped down on this, where's the change in real estate prices? All they've done is gone up through the roof. Okay, thanks. So the Cullen Commission did not find much evidence that money laundering was driving up real estate prices. That was a big takeaway from this report. I mean, this was an exhaustive inquiry. I've been critical of public inquiries in the past. This one really came through, I think, in terms of the work they did. 199 witnesses, I think, uh, 134 hearings, uh, 1,800 pages of findings. So this is an exhaustive bit of work, and they didn't find much evidence to support the thesis that money laundering was driving up housing prices. It may play a role, uh, but doesn't seem to play uh, a big role. There's a lot of moving parts, supply and demand and such. Uh, and keep in mind, foreign money that comes in is not is not money laundering. There's a difference between people parking their assets from another country and money laundering. They're com- two completely different things, and one seems to be happening more than the other. Let's go to Mike on the line of White Rock. Hey, Mike, go ahead. Hey, guys, uh, two quick points. One, don't ever trust the polls because the only people they're phoning are the ones who are staying at home and willing to take the time to even answer the polls. Most of us hardworking people don't even answer the home phone or take the time to do that. Number two... Oh, where do we even start with regards to the whole COVID thing? At the end of the day, we've got all these unvaccinated healthcare workers. We're short on healthcare workers. If the gospel from the beginning of the pandemic has been trust the science, then let's trust the science. The science says 
the vaccination doesn't stop you from getting it. It does not stop you from transmitting it. Therefore, where is the risk to anybody for the people who in the healthcare system are not vaccinated themselves by choice? Where okay, is so, the risk to anybody? So, Thank you, Mike. So two things. Polls are no longer telephone polls for the most part. These are online panels that are constituted by pollsters. And in terms of the science, there was a scientific study out a couple months ago that showed that the risk, you run a higher risk of getting COVID-19 if you're around unvaccinated people. Not a huge increase, something like 20% more higher cases. You put that in a hospital setting and then it becomes even more problematic because you've got people in hospitals who have underlying health conditions. They're there for a reason. And if unvaccinated people are there, uh, that heightens the 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 uh, ability for the COVID-19 virus to spread. But we also have a situation where we've got shortages in health care. We have even emergency rooms shutting mm-hmm. down at times. We've had walk-in clinics shut down. So is Fal- Falcon is making the point, what, that... Look, we can improve this if we bring back some of these workers who are currently on well, the unvaccinated the, workers. I guess the counter argument to that is that you also imperil the health of people in hospitals by doing that. So wh- what's the trade-off? Uh, is it to put? But like the caller said, I mean, you can be fully vaccinated and still get COVID. You can still spread but if, it. If you're in hospital, you're in a worse situation than you and I are yeah. sitting here right now because you're in there because you're sick. You also take into account long-term care homes. Uh, as someone who has someone in a long-term care home, I'm not sure I want unvaccinated people in This there. is Bonnie Henry's call at the end of the day, right? It is. Yeah, and does she show any indication that she wants to back off mandatory vaccination in healthcare? I speculate, not so far. I, I speculated on our Global News News uh, when, the, when the feds um, lifted the vaccine mandates, and they haven't listed in acute care hospitals, just in uh, in traveling and uh, in federal workforce. Right. And I got a call from Adrian Exeter saying, nope, there's no, he checked, no relaxation, not only in, in healthcare, but in government ministries. Mm. And I wonder whether, you know, at some point, will, will they lift the mandates in government ministries? You still have to be vaccinated to work for a government ministry yes. in BC? Yeah. Okay. okay. And in fact, you still have to be vaccinated to come into this legislature. That's supposed yeah. to be revisited. Uh, next week. So it'll be interesting whether the rules change at the legislature. Okay. Steve in the West End. Hey, Steve, go ahead. Hey, I wanted to comment on the idea that inflation is purely just a global issue. And actually, this is false. Um, certainly, uh, we got to look at supply chain issues, COVID, Russia, all that stuff definitely has uh, somewhat of an effect on inflation. But actually, that's being exaggerated. There are countries that are suffering those supply chain issues, such as Switzerland, Japan, Malaysia, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and they don't have inflation. And the one thing those countries have in common is that if you look at their broad money supply, their M3 creation, it's minuscule. If you look, compare okay, that okay. to the United States and Canada, it's gigantic. Thanks for the call. We have 30 seconds here. I have no idea what he's talking about. Okay. <laughs> That's my 30-second <laughs> contribution. Okay. Fair. Keith, thanks for coming in. Have a great in. weekend. Uh,